Redfield Arts Audio presents The Midnight Matinee. The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. I've got out at last. In spite of you and Jane. And I've pulled off all of the paper. All of the horrible, putrid wallpaper. Alfie. Oh, dear God, Alfie, come quick. What is it, dear? Someone's killed poor little Pluto and hung it from the tree. Who could, who, who could be so cruel? So Valdemar, can you explain your wishes or complaints? For God's sake, quick, quick, put me to sleep. Oh, quick, waken me, quick. I say to you that... I am dead! Is this your wish, Valdemar? For God's sake! Valdemar, listen to this. The Midnight Matinee on the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. Valdemar, starring Jennifer Rouse, J.R. Liston, and Mark Redfield. Inspired by the short story, The Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar by Poe. Original music and sound design by Jennifer Rouse. Written and directed by Mark Redfield. My name is Elmira Valdemar. Yes, that Valdemar, married to one of the richest men on the planet, the very definition of a May-December romance. The speculation of why I would marry Valdemar when the marriage was announced in the press was ugly. I had been a jazz singer, this is a fact, and was working my way into the better clubs with the better bands when I met Ernest Valdemar. Yes, he was old enough to be my grandfather. Was I a gold digger? Were the accusations, the slander that was leveled at me justified? That's for you to decide. All I am compelled to tell you now is that I admit that by marrying Erdis Valdemar, I would never again have a financial burden in my life. Those thoughts were in my mind when I said, I do, five long years ago. Of course, I did not know that Ernest was dying when we married. My husband's death, that is the matter that I feel compelled to tell you about now. Because the death of Ernest Valdemar has excited great discussion in certain circles of society. It has been the desire of all parties concerned to keep the affair from the public, but a garbled version, a tale of innuendo and falsehoods, has been leaked to the public. Unpleasant misrepresentations, 
It is now rendered necessary that I give the facts in the case of Mr. Ernest Valdemar, as far as I comprehend them myself. I remember the day clearly that Ernest's personal physician told him that he was dying and had precious little time left on earth. Ernest was not pleased with the news. Bastard! Insufferable bastard! Where did you get your medical license, you fool? From a mail order catalog? Get out! Get out of my house, you pimple-headed baboon! A parade of doctors followed, all at great expense, and all predicted the same. That Ernest Valdemar had, at best, a year to live. My husband grew increasingly desperate. He wanted to beat death, to find some way. One morning, after Carson, his manservant, had wheeled Ernest down to breakfast, and Ernest had finished slurping down his oatmeal... Elmira! Yes, Ernest? Someone new has come to my attention. I've been reading about him in the morning paper. Here, take a look. This fellow, Herlock. Harlan Herlock. I looked at the article he showed me. Needless to say, I was surprised. This smacked of desperation, surely. Oh, Ernest, you can't be serious. I want to see this Herlock fellow tonight. I read from the paper. Harlan Herlock, the professor who taught at the Encephalon Medical College, has been dismissed while an investigation is underway to determine how his department's annual budget was allocated and if there was any malfeasance involved. Herlock, a professor of hypnotism who taught at the college, could not be reached for comment. What on earth do you want with this fellow? Sounds like a criminal, Ernest. Read on, woman, read on. Working from a recent research grant, Harlan Herlock reportedly had ventured into a new line of experiments in hypnotism. It is said that he was interested in hypnotizing a human subject just at the moment of death in an effort to thwart death and to hopefully have the subject report on the experience. That's too fantastic to be believed. Nevertheless, I want to see this man, Herlock. Once Valdemar had made up his mind about something, there was no redirecting this bullheadedness. He was determined that somehow this charlatan, Harlan Herlock, could help him cheat death. The medical college would not give the public any information about Herlock, and Valdemar grew increasingly irritable, as it took a week to locate the whereabouts of this man. It was Carson, our butler, and the man who looked after Valnemar daily who provided the information. Beg pardon, Miss Elmira, this man you've been seeking, Harlan Herlock. Yes, what of him? Strictly between you and me, Carson, I was hoping that Mr. Valdemar had forgotten all about him by now. I found the man, Mum. He's been hiding in plain sight, so to speak. Carson then handed me a soiled flyer. I turned the paper to the light and read, Herlock, hypnotist to the crowned heads of Europe, now appearing through an exclusive engagement at Cartwright's Carnival of Shows and Odd Attractions. A carnival? Yes, Mom. Does Mr. Valdemar know about this? He does, indeed. Ernest, <laughs> I didn't know you were there. Time's running out for me, woman. Get the automobile ready, Carson. You see this man for me, Elmira, and bring him to me. You'll go. Tonight. Ernest, don't waste your money on a fraud. Yes, I know. I'm a burden on you, and you'd prefer me dead. 
so that you can have this house to yourself, so you can have my money to yourself. You can't pretend anymore. You want to throw wild parties, turn this house into a den of sin with your jazz fiend friends. You have never loved me, woman, but I'll show you. With this man, Harlan Herlock, I'll find a way to outlive you. You may think that my husband's ill-tempered and hurtful words would have dissuaded me from the task of fetching Harlan Herlock to our house, but it did the opposite, in fact. I'm compelled to tell you the truth. For I trust you, and I tell you this. Yes, it's true that I had come to hate Ernest and to wish him dead, to put him out of my misery, my living hell with the horrid ogre of a man he was. No amount of comfort or luxury or money was worth his boorish and disgusting ways. And so I dressed, and Carson drove me that very night to a seedy part of town where Cartwright's carnival of shows and odd attractions was pitched for the weekend. The Midway was a frightening place. It was dark, dimly lit, with flickering electric lights, yellow and putrid, casting wild shadows on the Lord Canvas paintings advertising the various attractions. Each attraction more horrible than the last. The smells were disgusting. The air seemed to grow by turns warmer, then colder, as I walked down the midway. Suddenly, I found myself confronted by... Right this way, ladies and gentlemen. Step right this way. See with your own eyes. Witness, witness the mind-bending wonders of mesmerism. Harlan Herlock, hypnotist. You will be a believer after witnessing his incredible experiments with the human mind. Do you have the courage to be his subject? Right this way, ladies and gentlemen, right this way. The next show starts in five minutes. I paid the ten cents and went into the dusty tent with the others. Some were skeptical and some were eager to be entertained. It was dark and then the performance began. I remember little of it now, but I was struck by the appearance of Harlan Herlock. He was tall, with a shock of coal-black hair brushed back severely exposing a large forehead. His complexion was very white, as if he'd not seen the sun for a lifetime. His eyes were a bright, penetrating blue. There was one portion of his show that I distinctly remember. For my next experiment, I'll need a gentleman from the audience. A volunteer? Ah, you, sir. Come right up. Mind the step. Let's have a round of applause for our brave volunteer, shall we? <laughs> Tell us your name, sir. <laughs> Elmer Stump. And what do you do for a living, Mr. Elmer Stump? I drive a milk truck right here in town. <laughs> Good for you. And have we ever met Mr. Stump? Well, no, Mr. Herlock, we have not. Mr. Stump, 
Did you have breakfast this morning? I did, sir. Might early, too. And what did you have? Scrambled eggs, bacon, and three lengths of sausage. That sounds delicious. You're making me hungry just hearing about it. The price of eggs these days. Nothing we can do about that, is there? No, sir. <laughs> eggs is mighty high these days. Are you ready to help with our little demonstration, Mr. Stunt? Maybe we can come up with the solution to the rising costs of eggs today. I'd be happy to help. What, what do I have to do? Sit here in this chair, Mr. Stump. Ladies and gentlemen, I ask that you be completely silent for the next several minutes and aid me in this experiment. I thank you. Mr. Stump, look into this lantern, this gentle flashing light, and concentrate only on that and the sound of my voice. Look at the light, Mr. Stump. Mr. Stump, I want you to listen to the sound of my voice and only my voice. Just sit comfortably and listen to the sound of just my voice. Ignore all the other sounds that you may hear. The crowd outside. The music. The people in this tent. The ticking of my watch. Just my voice. My voice. Are you relaxed, Mr. Stump? Yes. You only hear the sound of my voice? Yes. I want you to do exactly what I say. Yes. Listen carefully. You will never have to pay for eggs again, Mr. Stump. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes. And do you know why? Because when I count to three and snap my fingers, you will become a chicken. Do you understand, Mr. Stump? When I count to three and snap my fingers, you will become a chicken. One, two, three. That's it. Behold, ladies and gentlemen, the miracle and the mystery of the mind. The power of simple suggestion taken to its astonishing limit. No more, Mr. Stump, Milkman, but the chicken. Here's feed for you, chicken. <laughs> it was an amazing sight. I could hardly believe it, but I was a skeptic no more. I wasn't sure what this man could do for my husband, if he could prolong his life or not, but I was certain that the power of mesmerism was real. Then... And when I count to three and snap my fingers, you will not be a chicken, but Mr. Elmer Stump once again. One, two, three. What happened? I taste a... What is this, chicken feed? A harmless experiment, Mr. Stump. Thank you for being such a good sport. And now, friends, you have witnessed one simple experiment of the mind. 
On your way out, we have prepared and printed a marvelous pamphlet that teaches you how you can hypnotize your friends and family. Only 10 cents, one-tenth of a dollar, and you can conduct similar experiments in your own home safely and at no risk. <laughs> Buy my book on your way out. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I hurried around back to Herlock's makeshift dressing room. Mr. Herlock? Enter! Mr. Herlock, forgive this intrusion, but I have come to see you urgently. Intrusion forgiven, my dear. Never let it be said that Harlan Herlock would refuse a beautiful woman. And you are, my dear? Mrs. Ernest Valdemar. Oh, you're married, are you? I am. What can I do for you? I'm a very busy man. I wish to engage you. My dear woman, I don't do private parties, bar mitzvahs, birthday parties, or stag parties. Oh, it's nothing like that at all. My husband, Ernest Valdemar, requests that you see him at once. Valdemar? That Valdemar? Yes, that Valdemar. Well, why didn't you say so? That changes everything. He seeks your consultation in a grave matter, and that money is no object. I heard that his doctors have given him less than a year to live. Is this true? It's true. I believe I understand the nature of your visit and of your request, Mrs. Valdemar. Or may I call you Elmira? You may call me Mrs. Valdemar. Mrs. Valdemar. Bobby! Yes, Mr. Herlock. Bobby, cancel the rest of the evening shows. Harlan Herlock has been summoned by the high and the mighty. His skills are needed. Mrs. Valdemar, let us go to your lovely house and to your dying husband and see what we can do for him. I must admit that I thought this strange man oddly compelling. There was something of his charm that helped lessen the unsavory ego and rather revolting smarminess. We were soon enough at the Valdemar Mansion, situated in one of the oldest and most respected neighborhoods uptown. Lovely autocar you have, Mrs. Valdemar. Thank you. Is part of your mission to fetch me to discuss terms of my consultation with your husband? You'll discuss that with Mr. Valdemar. I see. And he is, in fact, dying? His situation has not, um, reversed itself, has it? He is dying. Oh, good. We arrived, and Carson pulled the car up to the entrance. We were met by Jerome at the door. Good evening, ma'am. See Mr. Herlock to the library, Jerome. I'll tell Mr. Valdemar that we're here. Very good, ma'am. This way, sir. I needed to collect myself a moment before I collected my husband. And when I was ready, summoned Carson to wheel Ernest to the library. My husband was now living in a room on the first floor of the large house. It had been converted practically into a hospital ward. We had not shared a bedroom in years. So, you made a man into a chicken tonight, did you? <laughs> That's what the wife claims. A modest experiment designed to entertain the great unwashed, I'm afraid. <laughs> Far beneath my real talents. But man's got to eat, workers work, the price of eggs, you know. Enough of this jibber-jabber, Herlock. I know all about you. Read up on you. Hired an investigator to look at all these shenanigans about you as reported in the newsprint. Can you do it? Do what? 
Exactly. Can you keep me alive? Stop death! Hypnotize a man at the point of death and keep him alive. Whatever it is you think you know about me is wrong, sir. I have not yet had the chance to prove if my theories are workable and true. I haven't had a subject yet with which to experiment. Damn it, man, enough! Can you do it or not? I'm your subject now. Look me in the eye and tell me you can do it. Harlan Herlock looked my husband in the eye for a long moment and then smiled and said, I can do it. Let us now talk about the procedure, how the experiment must unfold to be successful, and my compensation. Herlock requested that Carson leave the room and that he and none of the servants would enter the room for 15 minutes. Once we were alone, just Herlock, my husband, and me, the rules and demands were laid out. Herlock would choose his own physicians to witness and supervise the experiment. This Ernest agreed to. Herlock would be given a suite of rooms in the house and a servant of his own choosing, salary paid for by my husband. This Ernest agreed to. A small list of minor demands followed, and then came the final demand. Let my husband sign a letter indemnifying Harlan Herlock of any and all wrongdoing or harm that may result from the experiment. This, too, Ernest agreed to. And so I shall live here, in this house. Oh, you'll hardly be aware of my existence, save for our scheduled daily appointments. I must remain close at all times, so that I am by your side at the moment of death. Just at that time will the final mesmeric passes be made to set you in the trance that will, if all is successful and your mind remains willing, suspend death. Never knew he was there. On the contrary, Harlan Herlock's presence in the house of Valdemar was ubiquitous and suffocating. Subtly and slowly he began to take over the house, first by arranging new schedules for the servants, strict menus for the cooks, and when I could and could not visit Ernest. And every day at 3 p.m., when Ernest was at his weakest... Listen to the sound of my voice, Valdemar. Only to the sound of my voice. After weeks of this, ah, I remember distinctly. It was a cold December morning, just after breakfast. Carson's barged into the dining room. Mom, come quick. The master is dying. Summon Herlock, Carson's, and fetch the doctors. I raced to Ernest's room. To my surprise, Herlock was already there. He sat next to the bed where Ernest, dying, stared up at the ceiling. His skin, whiter than the sheets and pillows that his frail frame sunk into. Mrs. Valdemar, I'm afraid the end is near. I've been with him all night. Do not make a sound. I am just about to complete the final mesmeric passes. Carson helped me to a chair as Herlock stood and leaned over Ernest and induced the final hypnotic trance to lock Ernest Valdemar in the final moments of life, thus keeping the inevitable death at bay. Valdemar... Are you asleep? Yes. Asleep. I'm dying. 
Ernest's eyes were open, like a sleepwalker's. Herlock closed them and took a mirror to Ernest's lips. There was barely the suggestion of breath. Do you feel pain, Valdemar? No. You will remain in this state until I say so. Do you understand? Yes. Herlock leapt to his feet in that moment and beamed triumphantly. He strode across the room, grabbed my wrist, and pulled me into the hallway. Um, We must not disturb him again today. This experiment has proved to be a success. But I must have witnesses, medical men, to validate what I have done here today. Is Ernest dead or alive? He is neither. He stands on a bridge between two worlds, and I alone can see to it which direction he shall take next. Herlock was in complete control of the house now. He set a completely new schedule for the staff and brought doctors and medical men in almost daily for the next seven months. The seven months that Ernest Valdemar lingered in limbo. And then, one day, alone in the library, escaping in books so that I wouldn't have to see or hear Harlan Herlock. Ah, there you are! (laughs) I looked all over for you. I didn't think you to be the bookish person. What is it that you want? I've noticed your behavior of late. Your nervousness. Your nerves. I can help you, you know. And that's when I agreed to the hypnotic sessions with Harlan. They were designed, he said, to calm my nerves. I don't know what possessed me, but soon I did come to feel better, to trust him more and more. I began to crave the sessions and look forward to them. I would often come to the end of these sessions flushed with an indescribable feeling of ecstasy. I trusted Harlan completely. I had our lawyers give him power of attorney over Ernest, as Harlan was wise and compassionate. Harlan allowed me to widen my social circles, to throw small parties. He said it would do me good, and it did. Here's one that was a favorite when I sang in the clubs. It was then that Carson burst into the room. It's Mr. I stood frozen for a moment, horrified by the thought that, in that instant, I didn't know who Carson was talking about. Harlan rushed from the room. I made apologies to my guests and soon followed. When I reached Ernest's bedroom, I discovered Harlan leaning over him close. The manservant stood nervously nearby. Valdemar, can you explain your wishes or complaints? For God's sake, quick, quick, put me to sleep. Oh, quick, waken me, quick. I say to you that I am dead. Is this your wish, Valdemar? For God's sake. Valdemar, listen to the sound of my voice. Only to the sound of my voice. When I count to three and snap my fingers, you shall awaken from your sleep. Do you understand? 
Herlock made several yes. mesmeric passes over Lock. Ernest's glassy, Lock. wide Lock. eyes as he spoke. Immediately, Harlan snapped his fingers, waking Ernest, his whole frame at once. Within the space of a single minute, or even less, shrunk, crumbled, absolutely rotted away on the bed where he lay. Carson screamed at the sight and fled the room. I stood transfixed and could not tear my eyes from the horror. Upon the bed, where once my husband was suspended between this life and the next, there lay a nearly liquid mass of loathsome, of detestable putridity. And those, to the best of my memory, are the facts in the case of Mr. Ernest Valdemar. Very good, my dear. Although, I believe you may have left out one or two important details. And so, when I count to three, and then snap my fingers, you will remember nothing of the story you've just told, and everything that I am about to tell you. Do you understand? One... You have been listening to Valdemar, produced by Redfield Arts Audio. Valdemar starred Jennifer Rouse as Elmira Valdemar, J.R. Liston as Ernest Valdemar, and Mark Redfield as Harlan Herlock, Elmer Stump, and others. Original music, compositions, and sound design by Jennifer Rouse. Written and directed by Mark Redfield. After the story by Edgar Allan Poe. RedfieldArtsAudio.com Great stories, well told. Now available on Audible and everywhere great audiobooks and audio dramas are sold. Redfield Arts Audio Redfield Arts Audio presents Mark Wheatley's Frankenstein Mobster. The most amazing story of crime ever told. Starring Daniel Roebuck. You, Twitch Randall, and Hyde. He did it right here. You murdered me. Debbie Rashawn. My name is Terry Todd. Detective Terry Todd. My father was a good man, a good cop. And Mark Redfield. Quiet, Smiley. We don't sell talismans in the dead end, no matter what they'll pay. You don't want any monsters to reap talisman benefits, now do we, son? Monstro City, where monsters live and mobsters rule. Gentlemen, what you see before you, this sleeping giant, swathed in bandages that I have named Frankie. What your eyes see are four dead men. What the hell is A mad scientist created a better mobster. The Frankenstein mobster. 
adapted from the graphic novel written and illustrated by Mark Wheatley. Get down, Yasmini. They can't get shooting at us. I, I can't see. Who, who is that hanging out the cop car window? One of him. And better than 20 oh. of us. It seems I'm neither a monster or mobster. Stop! He helped Jerry! See this? Is that what I think it is? Talisman? I didn't get you one. I got sauces. Well, they're illegal. They... It's a good luck charm. And the illegal good luck charm. Cars. How the hell did you get tipped off about this? Are you okay? I think so. Can you run? I think so. Run! Original music score and sound design by Jennifer Rouse. Adapted, written, and directed by Mark Redfield. <laughs> <laughs>